Walkinshaw hopes to bring a third manufacturer for the start of Gen 3. Is Formula E a viable option moving forward for drivers who don't make F1? And the impact of Red Bull and Honda continuing their partnership. All this and more on this episode of the Racing Line Podcast. Boys, what is this? Episode three of the Racing Line podcast for 2022. Another off-season yeah. special. Something, a few different uh, topics to talk about tonight. Men, how are we going? What's been happening? Not, Not bad, much, man. Just a living life. Living life. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoyed some racing over the weekend, which was good to good to finally yeah. do. Hell yeah, we did. So again, off-season. It's getting a bit long in the tooth now. We're a week away from some official livery launches, which is oh, a bit more than a week away from a few Formula One livery launches. But until then, let's just keep filling the time with some of our, um, you know, off-season topics. And we've got a few tonight that we've collated together um, that relate to uh, V8 supercars in particular. So let's just jump straight into that, Joey. First point that I've got here is the point you've made about um, Walkinshaw and their search for. Um, another manufacturer for Gen Three. Yeah. How would you like to begin? Um, I'll just I'll just say what I, what, what I've learned first. Um, so this week on the uh, Rusty's Garage, Greg Rust's podcast, they interviewed Ryan Walkinshaw, hmm. and um, they were sort of discussing um, like sort of the transition to Gen Three and uh, his uh, search for a manufacturer in that in the, in this time. And, it has been uh, going on for almost five years now, really, eh? That's yeah, since, since the Walk and Join Dreddy United collaboration. Um, and, and he did disclose that, even though he can't disclose what um, manufacturers they are, he's talking to six of them, and they will be making a decision soon um, on which uh, manufacturer they will be bringing. So would we like to bring a, they'll be liking to bring a new manufacturer next year. With oh, really? Begin- For 2023? With the, with the beginning of Gen 3. Um, and if not, I'd say the year after that. But yeah, they so they want to bring one in still for the um, beginning of Gen 3, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and then and then I and then I thought, well, what we've been discussing, if if they can just drop engines in and out of these cars, I was thinking, well, maybe he's it'll be a, it'll be just the silhouette first and then engine sort of development to come after that mm. but, could you imagine um, yeah, it being a ford or a holden engine initially like that sort of lines that's up what, with one of those brother yeah, that's manufacturers what I'm that's, mm, what that's I'm very saying. interesting so I, I, yeah like so so this so you're saying there's six on the table and a decision will be made soon whether or not they'll be beginning with like they'll be signing up with a, a new manufacturer for next year, or then, or they'll be making a decision to wait a year after. Are um, there any um, ideas on who the manufacturers are? Uh, well, we know that he was talking to BMW extensively just before, sort of this whole COVID thing started. Yeah, and, and Andretti's got a affiliation. And Andretti, yeah, and Andretti has an affiliation of them, or he used to. Um, Man, if I was to spitball, I'd say it's either going to be a Honda, BMW. I'm just trying to think of teams that um, 
United and um, Andretti have partnerships mm. with. Um, I mean, other than that, like they're the two big ones, I'd say Honda or um, or BMW, maybe uh, Volkswagen, because what War Control work do... Um, oh, yeah, they do. They well, do car would have been the Passat. Yeah, they'd probably do a Passat or something. Arterion um, or whatever it's called. That's a, that's a similar size, oh, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So... So it's it's definitely interesting. Um, it's, and it's then good also for the sport. Who, it's really healthy for the yeah, sport. Yeah, it'd be it'd be it'd be really good for the sport. Um, I don't understand I why think, someone like Toyota's not in it with the amount of money they're putting could, into motorsport. It, it could even be Toyota, but I, I would I would doubt it. I mean, the thing is now with these new rules, and we've we've, we've discussed this numerous times, with the new silhouette options, um, you can bring in so many. Uh, more shapes like we can like i don't even i don't know how much leeway there is but i don't like hypothetically could you bring in something as like low as a mclaren or is that no. even lower than the corvette and the mustang i don't think i don't think um i don't think mclaren would see supercars as a as a viable kind of i don't racing strategy for them it's still yeah i don't think mclaren would be coming in they're I like mean, a gc kind of Realistically, oh. that you, you can even be looking to run like a BRZ or um, kind of shape as well. So mm. the thing knows? that's going to actually be interesting is if like it's the fact that they've already come out and said this so soon after, well, not so soon really, but it's been on the tables for a while, but so soon after the official launch of, of Gen 3, which was, you know, only a couple of months ago at Bathurst, bodes really well for the manufacturers coming into the sport too. And I well, think maybe have... the fact that I think maybe the fact that it's you know focusing on being affordable, et cetera, makes it a little bit more of a viable option for them. The only thing that I do want to see now is once um, or now that the engines have been homologated, does that give enough time to um, supercars if they wanted to bring another engine in to homologate again? Uh, enough time this year to do that which you know it should be the case um, but then does it give them enough time to test if they were to push for you know a 2023 release with the start of gen 3 so it's it's an interesting topic that's for sure and it's, it's a good thing for to see in supercars and hopefully what it does is spark the interest of a few more um, manufacturers too and maybe that might be the case once we know who the manufacturer is and if there's any kind of rival manufacturers that have raced against them before that want to kind of make the jump as well. So yeah, it's very interesting. I like that. Like um, you could just quickly as well, you could say that you, as you said, like now that we've seen the cars that has also probably um, given them something to go take to whoever they were talking to and say, all right, now we're not talking about like theories anymore. Like mm-hmm. this is, this is like what they're going to look like. Like this is the, the vision that we're aiming for. Um, you know what I mean? So in, in that in that respect as well, you can see that that like it's also like a, a gift to them saying, all right, here's what here's what we've got now. Um, do you want to? You, you know, are you out? Yeah, I agree. I, agree. I think just quickly also with supercars having multiple manufacturers now that the whole Ford versus Holden thing's kind of dying out, I think that's only going to spark more interest and bring more people to the sport. Don't you think? I think so. Hundred percent. I was actually thinking this week as well, like with, it's probably a controversial topic, but with supercars kind of, it is going to lose its Ford versus Holden mm. DNA. Would it have been wise for them to pull the plug on 
the V8 DNA as well and maybe push for a V6 turbo option like in some other touring car categories no. um, just to make it make just to make it even more um, kind of appealing to a lot of those other manufacturers out there who have smaller engines if oh. if you remember when 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 Red Bull ran that their V6 engine remember in that Sandman um, concept yep. car yeah um, the the consensus was widely against it and that's why the Holden back then did the did a, a, a full 180 on that idea went back to the V8 engine mm. um, I think one thing as well that now is that dude you can put whatever you can put whatever um, engine you want in it engine you want in it you can put whatever like on whatever shell like yeah uh, uh, what's it TID has been doing that in NASCAR for years um, so like it's, it's probably going to be the same thing uh, yeah. what you were saying as well about homologating another engine if um, not now that there's two um, sort of sizes uh, homologated the um, 5.7 and the 6 liter I think it is um, as long as they probably brought in an engine on either of those two sizes you probably imagine that it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to try and get it lined up with one of them but I just think I just thought it was an interesting sort of uh, news article to sort of read about especially mm. now because mm. they definitely have n- not got much time if you think like we got like, a, a calendar year that's about it yeah just to close on this topic and we'll move on to something else but the fact that there already has been interest from other manufacturers should probably mean that you know if as supercars were saying before if they were considering coming up with the spec engine that they were going to produce and then they would be able to sell it's probably a good idea that they get onto that sooner rather than later Mm. um just so that if you know there's a manufacturer that comes in that you know wants to you know put their car in the in the um, shop window so to speak they've got an engine that that's suitable even if they're not kind of producing those kind of capacity engines so i think that might be something to consider as well and we've already seen how you know with other touring car categories you know a spec engine can be put into any chassis and run fairly effectively um our second point which is again pretty interesting and it might be something worth having a short discussion about is the struggles that um peter Adderton is is having to get to um rec so two contracts to to start his team in 2023 the supercars have to you know maybe bite the bullet and and just allow a larger field or you know why is why, maybe you can answer this, Joe. Why is it so difficult, or why don't they want to increase the size of the of the grid? Is it just track capacity? I'm not sure if it's track capacity. I, I mean, for for years they haven't even been tra- sort of uh, presented with the problem of running their their 26 uh, car grid. I mean, we're at 25 now, and I think it's sort of always been within the 22s to the 24s for the, the many years before that. So they've always had racing entitlements up their sleeve. And now with what one left, I mean, the, the long and short of it is you've got someone, someone with a lot of money wanting to invest in your sport and bring a new, like a, not a new sponsor, he's been there for a while, but a new team into the sport. Um, I think they will have to bite the bullet. But the I think the one thing that, that, that Peter Adderton has done probably to his detriment is he, he, he is, um, he airs dirty laundry very quickly and mm. he's, he's not one to not, um, 
sort of let his opinions known, which is fine. But um, I feel like he could that attitude could definitely rub the um, establishment up the wrong way. Mm. Uh, I think I might have heard a couple of years ago as well. I think maybe when Tickford were asking if they could bring another team in that it might have something to do with the um, splitting of prize money and the current teams that are in supercars don't want to add more entries to the grid because it would mean that they would each entry would essentially have you know less of a slice a to the prize, prize money pool. yeah something yeah, like that. that so that might be another consideration but again i don't I think mean, that's we've got a, that I mean, not stunt the growth well, yeah that's the, this, that's the consideration well, it will stunt the growth but i mean a 20 a 26 car grid in itself is really is is the biggest we've had and this is going to now take it to 27 and we're at, at 25 now i mean I would like if, if I was supercars, you'd probably want to bite the bullet. Having said that, we've got a year now for for teams to sort of work out what their ambitions are after this year. Number one. Um, having said that, I can't. How it is structured now with all these smaller two-car teams, I can't see many wrecks dropping except maybe from Tickford. Um, Tickford won't drop. I don't think that's the which problem. I don't, yeah, I don't think they will. Or or maybe. And even I mean, I've heard that Blanchard Brian, racing a, a, a want to want to um, expand to a two car team as well. Yeah, that, that's right. So it's it's definitely an interesting proposition, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's 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 it's, it's interesting. Hmm. What what about the it's news of to look at for next year? What about the big news from the last fortnight, which is you know a, definitely a um, a disappointment for us, you know, Sydney race fans, Team Sydney, which was supposed to be, you know, the next big infrastructure motorsport project in New South Wales has closed its doors after two years. So the team hasn't really fulfilled any of its expectations, you know, from what they, they were saying when they kind of started the project. I don't think it helped that they kind of came into existence in a COVID situation, so that wouldn't have been beneficial for them as well but even for a for a team like techno who you know have done pretty well over their existence they've probably dwindled a little bit since they lost will davison um but you know they're a team that's won two bathurst 1000s and they're a team that you know with davison and van gisberg and has had been you know on the pointier end of the grid um the underperformance was a little bit startling and they've kind of just been sold now to peter shibaris and premier racing uh, and they're moving up to Queensland before the season starts. So what do you make of that? Um, well, I wasn't surprised that they were getting sold, that's for sure, when the news broke. Um, I mean, Techno has been a, a relatively well-run organisation for, for a few times. But when, they, when it was announced that Techno was going to be the new team, Sydney, um, I, f I feel like the writing was on the wall that they were on the decline already. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you thought that as well. I think and, that, it would have been interesting to know what the trajectory was without all the COVID issues. I mean, there was a few things that rubbed me up the wrong way before that Team Sydney sort of announcement was made. I think the first one was when, uh, when Le I think it was at Bathurst or was that one of the endurance races where LeBrock and, and Webb had... Uh, a falling out and it was well publicized and Webb said well I own this car so I'm going to do most of the laps and you're going to do 
the co-driver amount of laps. So I think that like that year with, with LeBrock was definitely the start of their downfall. And mm. they, they didn't, they didn't fill that seat with what I would call um, like a, a hungry driver that was going to sort of push the envelope. Mm. And they've sort of said, um, I mean, you say the word, they, they've settled for, for sort of mediocrity. And I suppose maybe that's to do with funding with this whole COVID thing as well, but they've just, they've just never looked like. Um, they were the, well, they've they even, were gonna... they've even, they even lost like that. James Courtney was supposed to go there and lend his expertise. Yeah. And they lost him even before the season started. So even something yeah, so like, like that, like there was always, yeah, it hasn't gone about very, I'm just saying, thinking it just hasn't gone about very well for them Yeah, to be honest. And, and that's, you know, pretty disappointing. And, um, yeah, hopefully, go for it. I'm just saying, hopefully, with you know Peter Schuberis and what he's done, you know, in top fuel racing over the last couple of years, has been a level of, you know, uh, professionalism and definitely a level of of winning that that has gone, that is taken in in that particular avenue. So, I mean, hopefully, he's able to to do something with this team because you know well, there's a, a team that's fallen off the, Yeah, and what what is there's that? A, they're moving to Brisbane, um, or is it the Gold Coast? One or the other. But their their cars are going to be their cars, and now it's been confirmed they're going to be prepped by Triple Eight Racing. So I mean, number one, that's I mean, it's not a it's a sign of intent. Uh, it's not doesn't sort of assure anything because uh, Team Eighteen sort of has that gets their cars from Triple Eight as yeah Triple Eight as well. But at least it's a sign of of intent and wanting to put a, a, your best foot forward having said that their 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 problem still is that their driver lineup i just don't think is strong enough to make it make a dent um in sort of in sort of the competition when you look at the likes of so you've got without even thinking about it triple eight cars pence uh dick johnson cars tickford cars walk and chalk cars erebus cars all have better lineups than them. And that's that's already about 12 cars. Mm. Um, then you've got drivers in the Brad Jones stable. You've got Team 18. So, and I would say all those teams have better lineups than them. So even though their cars are being prepped by um, AAA, I, I still feel like at least for this year, that driver lineup is going to be limited in what they can sort of push for. And then they've lost Fabian Coulthard. Yeah. So it'll be an interesting scenario just to see how the team gets organized and gets settled like before the season. They've kind of done this in six weeks. So we'll see what that looks like. The fact that they we've lost um, Newcastle till till a later time in the year is probably a good thing for them. But you know, yeah. just transitioning into into the schedule. So Supercast has finally brought out the kind of race formats for for the different kind of events that are occurring. Um, yeah. We're starting with Sydney, kind of like the end of last year. You've got two 300-kilometer races to start the season, which is pretty big. So obviously, without any sprint races or anything like that, we jump straight into some pretty long races, which is going to be a challenge for the team and, and all that kind of caper. Um, then we move to Tasmania for you know a triple sprint round and then um, going to the Grand Prix for four um, very short 100-kilometer races. races. Yeah, they're very short. Um, but kind of like a sprint race. Yeah, they, they're definitely super yes. sprints. I think they might be only, they're normally like 12 laps or something like that, right? Yeah, something like that. 
Yeah, so long. that'll be it'll be fun About to see live though, Harry. So that's, a good, that's a good thing. Um, then we have Perth, just sprint rounds. Winton, more sprint rounds. Darwin, three sprint rounds again. Townsville is going to be two 250 kilometer races, which is great to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have the Bend, which is this is one thing that keeps disappointing me. They've got a, a track like the Bend that has got that is so large. Why can't they turn that into an endurance round? But anyway, we've got three races they, at the aren't Bend. Are they doing it as sprint rounds? They're all sprint rounds at they the was, Bend. They were supposed to make that endurance yeah. round when they got, got rid of the um, CN down 500. They've got three. Um, they've got three races. So the Bend has got three races, Sandown, three races, Pukekohe, three races. Then we've got the Bathurst 1000, two 250-kilometre Gold Coast races, and then two 250-kilometre um, Newcastle races as well. So we've got a, a few larger format races, but, you know, predominantly sprints. Um, and it's is, probably what we expected to see, really. Is the Gold Coast track the old IndyCar track? Yep. It's oh, a little bit shorter. Might have They've to go up for that. Have you, ever watched, have you ever watched track. that um, on TV? I went up years ago for the IndyCar. Yeah, it's a top event. It's probably mm. one of my favourite one of my favorite races to watch um, for supercars, that and probably Townsville. But that's a, that's an epic Epic race to see, to be honest with mm. you. Might, Might be a, a good trip. watch live. Yeah. Mm. Just to get away from it all at the end of the year. Correct. <laughs> all right. Moving on again. Um, we, we saw the um, release of the Grove cars. So Grove racing is, you know, two Penrite cars this year, which is nice to see. Not a whole lot to talk about in supercar livery land just yet, but that's a good thing. But as we were talking about a little bit before, um, well, we haven't spoken about it, but Joe, supercars and their intention to go international. What do you make of that? Yeah, there's not much news on that, really. I mean, but I do think it's, um, I mean, I think it's awesome. I just hope they choose the right event and track to go to. Mm. Um, I mean, the it was who was it? The new CEO has that was his sort of statement saying that there is intention to grow the sport internationally and um and well, let uh, me if, well, let me rephrase it then where where should supercars go what might be a viable and and, and positive commercial situation and where should they honestly, be going to try to sell themselves yeah i think the the biggest the the not the biggest the best idea would be going to asia either um i mean i'd love to this would be a long shot but i'd love to see them at like an uh f1 event like singapore like wow. on a track like that that would be a i think a really cool spectacle mm. um but if not maybe try and get to a track like um suzuka Dang. or something i'm just trying to think of tracks that sort of have you can cut the layout a little bit because i think like a full f1 track might be a bit too a bit too long or not enough Having said that, no, nah, it's not. Yes, like Suzuka, but I'd like, or even Sepang, because um, Sepang doesn't have a real uh, international they event don't there race anymore. Sepang anymore. Yeah, so. Um, well, I think so you're yeah, right. Like I think that. that I think if they are going to go international, it's probably a good thing that they do try to piggyback off of an already existing event. I think if they to... went to it's like one of the that um, Singapore night race, that would be an awesome mm. um, sort of display from them, but like it's already a really such a cool looking event because it's under the lights. Um, 
I think that would be awesome. Probably good as well because... Oh, sorry, mate. Keep going. I was just going to say, what happened to the uh, Bahrain experiment? Was it Bahrain they went to years ago? Yeah, they went, yeah, to... They went to Bahrain and then they went to Coda um, as well. But... Very, they were very just... expensive trips. Yeah. Th- yeah. I think that's why I'm saying like Asia because it's not as expensive in terms of distance. And um, also it's sort of catering to the people who we have a lot of tourism from as well. Yep. You know what I mean? So like that's that's sort of why. And and piggybacking off an F1 event, getting those eyeballs can only do you well. The good thing you know with that, I mean? about Singapore as well is it's a track that they don't have any F2 races at because it's obviously mm. in Asia and they don't have as big um, like supporter categories. So that yeah. might also allow them to kind of, I don't want to say flex their muscle, but have slightly longer races and try to make it a little bit more of an event for them too. So that yeah. I, I like that idea. I didn't think about that, but that's Singapore actually would be an awesome, um, you know, I'd say marketing Singapore, strategy for them. Singapore or Yas Marina. That'd be my, for my two tracks I'd choose. Yeah. I yeah. Like so it. I just, I just think that's a, that was a, 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 a welcome sort of, pleasant surprise in terms of like at least we've got a bit of intent to to sort of spread the sport like we were talking about last week mm. Mm. what about you h where would you like to see him race uh, i th- i think i like the idea of singapore when when he said piggyback off a formula one event i thought singapore straight away yeah it's just a what a spectacle that would be seeing those things on that on the streets i just don't know the track is quite narrow and those cars are quite quite big and heavy so i don't know they're getting how. smaller they are mm. getting smaller next year though so that's good yeah yeah true so it, it may work um and like you said there's no formula two or anything so mm. and, and consideration and and when we're talking about finances like it's probably the closest track other than albert park really mm. yeah definitely I can't, I can't think of anything else that would be closer i like that idea that's a good mm. one all right moving on that's a good a good topic. So obviously it's not a long pod, but we've got a few, a few other things that we can probably talk about, which is good. So obviously we had a bit of racing that returned this weekend. We just had the 24 hours of Daytona that took place over the finish this morning. Uh, we had an Australian that won in the GT uh, D category. So that's the pro GT three category. So Matt Campbell on another race, put another um, feather in his bow. Um, pretty entertaining race. Um particularly for the GT cars. But if you've, if you've got YouTube open or, you know, a little bit later on, you might want to give it a watch. Um, but there was, I was also watching some Formula E this, this weekend just to give me something to watch. And that was some a double head around and there was some pretty entertaining racing there. But what I did notice and was thinking about, and I want to get your guys' opinion on it, was this. Um, there's a lot of ex-Formula 1 races in it. There's a lot of young X Formula One races right now in Formula E, which is good to see because obviously we're seeing, um, you know, drivers that kind of are stunting their growth in F1 or F2, whatever it might be, have another avenue. But in recent years, we've seen a lot of drivers moving um, from Formula Two into IndyCar. We've seen a lot of drivers move into Formula E as well. But with the, you know, extended lifespan essentially of the Formula One driver in recent years, it's probably pretty important that they, we do have the emergence of, you know, some of these other single-seater categories just so that we don't lose 
uh, some of the talent that was definitely on the Formula 2 grid. What do you guys think about that? Um, well, when I watched that on the weekend, you know, you've got DeVries, you've got Stoffel, you've got Verline. Um, I've got the list here. There's there's some big names in the end that you got. Obviously, Giovinazzi ticked them. Um, so all these all these guys that have recently been racing in Europe, um, mm. it's it's surprising that DeVries hasn't had a chance in Formula One. Yeah. Okay, not gonna lie. Stoffel had his go at McLaren. Um, and we all know what Tictum's done. Yeah. But um yeah, interesting... I, I think it's good. The interesting thing though is that you've got races like Nick DeVries, for example, who probably did warrant uh I don't know if he warranted one because it took him quite a while in Formula Two to finally win the championship. But does moving to Formula E, even though they say I want to get back into Formula One, realistically, I doubt if they're ever going to get there. And that's probably the only the only downside because I mean, while they're good races, it's you know, you've always got Formula Two drivers that are current, that are winning, that are that are going to take the the prize. So um, I don't know. I think that as a as a platform to move back into Formula One, I think it's kind of a bit of a it's a bit of a fart. But um, but it is creating some really good racing, and um, as much as much as I want to, sorry, just, as much as I want to not watch it, I find myself coming back in in an odd way. One thing I don't like about it is the gimmicky stuff. You know the the, the fan boosts and the what is it where they drive that they miss the apex and get the the yeah. boost and all that. Kind I, don't, of like- I don't I don't I don't mind that because everybody gets the I can't remember what it's called. It's essentially like a three-minute yeah. um, push Four to minutes. pass. Um, I don't mind that. I think the fan boost is a little bit too gimmicky, though, because mm. obviously if there's an unfair advantage for just a few drivers, I am not wouldn't say that I'm a fan of that. But everything else, I feel like it works It works pretty well. And what's actually the most, um, I don't know, exciting thing for me is that um, they are, even though they're kind of keeping the same chassis for the cars, they are increasing the speeds of the car every year and they're becoming a little bit more reliable i mean and a little bit more able to to harvest energy and all those kind of things so it is becoming a little bit more engaging and a little bit less gimmicky in that regard um but i guess it's just something else something else to, for us to put our eyes on when there's when there's no formula one on so you want to say something sorry yeah i was gonna say one thing i do enjoy about formula e um, I mean, what you said about drivers getting back out of Formula E to Formula 1, I don't think is um, a reality um, mm. because you sort of see a lot of the best drivers in it are guys who, who had a chance in Formula 1 and couldn't make it work. Like you've got guys like Boemi and Degrassi who have been sort of the best, the better guys in it for a long time. Um, but I, did, I do like seeing drivers from different disciplines coming into it and sort of racing together. So mm. like um, even um, I think Mortara won the second race. Yeah. this week and like so he's sort of come out of dtm and um then you've got guys like um nick cassidy like come out of super cassidy gt coming out of super, yeah so it's sort of like a bit of a um an amalgamation of talent from sort of different disciplines and it's cool mm-hmm. to see them all racing together and in relatively um even sort of uh, hardware which is mm-hmm. another cool thing about it um I mean, it was actually interesting because uh, Virgin have pulled out of it. And I think they've just gone to that spot. The team is now just the sponsor of the Virgin team from last year. What is it? And, and, and Vision Racing. And Vision Racing, yeah. But, um, I mean, 
there's nothing on. So to watch something is awesome, no matter what. And um, I still think that the tracks look terrible there. There's mm. just there's just not uh, not enough well, dressing in terms of the like track, characters. Yeah, the track that they had this year, uh, this weekend in, in Jeddah, was one of the better. Um, Formula E tracks that I've seen because a lot of the time you've got tracks that struggle like they're always very narrow they struggle with having any breaking zones or you know areas of genuine passing maneuvers but when I watched this race I felt like the track was a little bit more traditional it was a little bit more boxy but what it did allow for was a lot more genuine passing moves and that was probably one of the first times in a long time that I watched the Formula E race and I kind of felt like the track's wide enough for some good overtaking and and uh, genuinely it was quite enjoyable to watch the the races were engaging there was good you know back and forth in regards to you know people moving up and down the order so when i did watch it i kind of felt like this was you know this is formula e progressing somewhat so i really did enjoy the racing this week and i have to say that more so than i thought um so so hopefully that's a trend that continues because what none of us like seeing and it was kind of happening too often over the, the definitely the early years of formula e was really narrow tracks which made really stupid and clumsy looking accidents which kind of didn't do the category any benefit but yeah i thumbs up from formula e this week hey I'll she had a question about quickly. it sorry one thing that i did i did enjoy as well is that um the rocket the rocket team venturi mm. they've made their livery like the dale coin rocket car in indiga like they're yeah. identical so i thought that was pretty cool and um I like the uniformity from 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 that. That's for sure. But yeah, go H. Uh, just a couple of things. I enjoy the racing, but it, it drives me nuts that they sound like Dyson vacuums. Like you know, <laughs> you, you know, when you watch any other category, you can the the, the noise of the cars. Yeah, they just they don't sound. That's that's what I can't get past at this point. Of you know, the racing is good though, but do you think long term? With all the big teams pulling out, or a number of big teams pulling out at the end of last year, do you think it's it's a viable category moving forward? I think um, it's viable as long as you've got some manu- like if, if you if you can keep the the likes of Mahindra in there, for example. Like we don't know anything about Mahindra in Australia, but that's a massive um, uh-huh. vehicle company in India, and then you've got the likes of Jaguar in there as well. I mean, Ladies. so. Um, I think Mercedes is pulling out, aren't they? Are they? Mercedes is going to pull out, yeah. They're done at the end of the year. Well, I think um, I think for Formula E to actually um, be like a sustainable category, it needs to probably adopt something a little bit like a IndyCar method. So I think they should have it. Like they've obviously got a chassis that's you know bespoke to like it's not bespoke. Sorry, it's it's um all all teams have the same chassis. What I reckon they should be doing is probably trying to find two uh, powertrain manufacturers potentially. Even if it's one, it doesn't really matter. But if they had, for example, two powertrain manufacturers that were able to compete with each other to develop the technology, you know, and keep developing it further, they probably need something like that. But apart from that, if they're able, teams are able to buy a chassis and able to buy um a power plant i said not a power plant but a, you know a power train a power system um and there was kind of maybe one or two options for them and they were just customers in that regard i think the the category would be successful i don't think it's dependent so much on like it's it was good to see the um works teams in their mercedes bmw etc i probably think that they realize that they don't get 
enough relevance from it, if that makes sense, or like whatever it might be. But I think for them to be successful, they just need to keep developing the chassis and then having maybe one or two, you know, powertrain developers that can kind of keep developing that technology as well. And I think, you know, if it takes a, a strategy like IndyCar, where you just, you buy everything, um, it makes it cheaper. And it just might, and I don't think it's dependent on, you know, seeing, you know, the silver arrows and stuff like that. So the other thing that's, that's my thought. Be, the other thing that will also be good when these OEMs leave is that the, the, the early adopters of it, so all the teams that were, were early in, so like teams like Neo, teams like Andretti, teams like Venturi, mm-hmm. who really haven't had much success because you've had like Porsche, Mercedes. Even a team like DS to Cheetah went from being the DS best Cheetah, team yeah, to kind right. of... And even like Mahindra, Mahindra were a good team for a long time. So mm-hmm. like the removal of all these um, teams who have come in late sort of on the hype train. You'll have, you, yeah, so that these... These early adopters, sort of the pioneers of the sport, you know, who really started it, will have a better chance of sort of being on the podium and 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 make their relevance in the sport a little bit stronger as well. So I think that will be that will be cool. Like that will be sort of a, a a good silver lining for the sport as well mm. in terms of its longevity. I know that like Formula E wants to kind of be formula racing and kind of having development being part of its DNA, like Formula One is. But I, I don't know. I tend to think that if they just kind of focus on trying to develop a good product, like in relation to the show, because that's essentially what it is. It's it's a bit of a gimmick in and of itself, the way that the the racing occurs and stuff like that. So if they focus on the show uh, and they kind of adopt a strategy that makes it affordable for these kind of bespoke, quirky teams to come in that we that you never really hear from, then I think that kind of works as well for them. Uh, in the long term and then they're not dependent on having six manufacturers and then five of them pulling out all at the same time so i don't know i think that might be uh, a, a strategy for them but with all that being said great racing this year and i hope it continues and if it does continue then we might be able to talk about it you know a little bit more um the last thing that i wanted to talk about tonight and we probably don't have to delve into it for too long but um I just wanted to talk about the amount of teams that we're going to be seeing in prototype racing next year, which has to be, um, sorry, before we go on, Hey, do you have another question that I just cut you off on? No, nah. oh, nah. probably. I can't remember. Yeah, it's all good. All right. Move on. So, move on. So yeah, let's, let's get this done and, and get this out of there. Um, so WEC next year and prototype racing in America we're going to see a whole bunch of teams racing at the top level of, of um, prototypes. So we've got Porsche coming in. We've got Audi coming in. Cadillac staying in. Acura are staying in. BMW are joining as well. And that's all at America. And then we've got Toyota, Peugeot, Ferrari, Glickenhaus, and Vanwill all in, um, all in Europe. So at next year's 24-hour of Le Mans. Sorry, and Alpine. And Alpine. At next year's 24 hours of Le Mans, there could be 10 different factory manu- well, 10 different manufacturers, teams lining up on the grid, which would be the first time in you know almost 20 years or you know even longer than that. That's awesome, I think, to see. And and the, the reason why I think it's so cool is we're talking about these great or these good drivers that you know. Uh, going through the formula categories and really not having a chance to to ever make it to Formula One, but now we've finally got another 
category with so much factory support for some of these young talented drivers to be joining i think in relation to a motorsport as a whole this is kind of a really healthy position for for the sport to be in and particularly for the fans of so many different teams to finally have you know another series other than formula one where there's so much you know high-powered cars with so many different manufacturers going at it so i know i was very excited about about that on the weekend i just wanted to share that as well i think that i think the excitement has been building because the thought of it has been in the air for so long um far out since probably like 2015 they've been talking about this Mm. and to sort of finally sort of get onto that doorstep where everything's sort of coming together um is really exciting. I mean, I mean, the watching the race this weekend um, got me excited just because um, it's been a while since there's been a good endurance race like that. But uh, uh, what you're saying as well is very true. One thing I was enjoying on the weekend was, like I said, with the um, Formula E as well, you get to see so many drivers from different disciplines come in. So like we saw Scott Dixon, like oh, nearly half the IndyCar grid was in different teams throughout, throughout um, that whole grid. And then um, you get to see like Kevin Magnuson was there, uh, Grosjean was there. Then you have like Jimmy Johnson from um, from NASCAR was there. You know, like we've seen um, Van Gisbergen and Wincup go across there. Um, so like that 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 whole aspect of endurance racing, I think, really can is what can bring fans from different disciplines in, which is awesome. Um, and then also with this whole, what's the word? Um, what's the word for it? Yeah, convergence. We've got the convergence of GT racing happening at the exact same time with um, the removal of GTE and making everything GT3. So, I mean, for us, it's going to be the hopefully the, the best year of um, endurance motorsport yet. But what you're saying is true. With, with all these new factory doors opening, we'll see talent not be sort of not wasted, but there will be a um, a top tier sort of display for them to be put into rather than sort of losing them in the um, like LMP2 or the just, GT just ranks. Just more obscure categories that you wouldn't be aware of unless you were yeah. kind of really into it, which I think is really cool to see. H, what was your... Wild. Yeah, it's going to be mad. H, what was your... Um, what was your query i just uh, wanted to discuss the whole honda staying in this in formula one until 2025 yes i can't believe you forgot about that we should that we should have opened with that can you edit this podcast and start with that (laughs) yeah i reckon we should the absolute shithousery from red bull making the engine regulations freeze until 2025 because they were saying for them to take over the power units they'd need the engine freeze and then all of a sudden honda staying in the sport what do you guys think does does that screw up the whole Red Bull powertrains, like the amount of money they've invested in that? They have hired a lot of people to go into that that, that area of Red I Bull that think they aren't did. going to be needed. I think that what they're going to do is work in tandem and, and then take over the production after 2025. And those new people that they've hired, don't quote me on this, could potentially be working on something for the new engine rules. Do you reckon now that Honda's staying to, if they have, let's say Honda has success, more success for the next three years, do you actually think they're going to be leaving? Who knows with Honda? With the, with the price, with the cost cap now? 
who knows? The, the, apparently, the initial issue was Honda didn't like the um, the technology. Like they they felt they couldn't utilize the the technology in the hybrid engine for the electrification phase. But apparently, they've found a use for the batteries, and that's why they're staying. But I don't know. I think that's just spin. It's not, I thought be- it was so bizarre. You know, what? I actually commend them for put like making this decision because I felt like the rhetoric that we were getting to particularly at the end of last season when Red Bull were fighting for the championship was almost like they were disappointed that they made the decision to leave. That was obvious. Like it's what it seemed like. So the fact that they kind of bit the bullet and were humble enough to say, I I think we might've left too early. Let's stay in. Like we've got a good thing going is a good thing for them. And it's also a good thing for formula. And so even though it is, it's a bit of a cluster and, and, you know, you know, we can call it shit house for whatever it might be. I think for the sport, for their company, it's actually a good thing. And what we're hopefully what it allows them to do is take that one-off championship that they've that they kind of redeemed themselves if since they were reintroduced to Formula One, and, and maybe they maybe they realise this as well is that they're able to maybe make a dynasty of it and and actually say we came back into Formula One and we were able to make quite a large success from that particular pursuit regardless of how bad it was at the beginning so um i actually respect them and commend them for not being proud and and actually saying no we can we should stay in this for at least another couple of years and i I wouldn't be surprised to see them in formula one after after 2025 even if red bull was to leave i think they've definitely put themselves in the in the shop window for another team to to want to get involved or maybe even for them to say let's let's get back into formula one ourselves if you know, with all the cost cap and stuff like that. So I think that's pretty cool. Good for Formula One. It's got to be the most Honda thing ever, though. Like when that news came out, I, I, I was, I found it so humorous. I was like, of course they're staying. That's just, um, that's just a Honda thing to do. But if you think about it, like if you break it down over the, however many years it's been with the, um, this new, um, turbo hybrid it's not new this turbo hybrid era they are the second most successful team now in terms of mm-hmm. not even in terms of championships in terms of race wins and if you are if they you really about, they would have to be more than ferrari how many and renault or renault maybe like considering red bull mm-hmm. had them for how many, how many did renault, Re- renault would have only won about nine? eight wins yeah wait or nine i think Okay. Not even that. I think Vettel might have won one and Ricardo won all the other ones. Okay. Oh, Verstappen won some yeah, as Max, well. Max was in some. Oh, true, true, yeah. true. Oh. It's true. It's interesting. Yeah. You know, the other thing mm. I was thinking about in this regard as well, if 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 Mercedes won the championship, would Red Bull have stayed? No. Oh, sorry, would Honda have stayed or would they have just kind of said, oh, no, go Red Bull powertrains? I don't think so. I think that whole winning the championship definitely had something to play. That, that that makes it a very huge um like it makes it a huge moment in history for them the fact that they were able to win the championship if that's if that's part of the reason why they stayed then but it validates yeah, what they've been doing they've been mm. trying to replicate this since what the williams days the mm. 90s well, since the since the, since the mclaren days mclaren yeah no, williams are never honda williams or renault mate uh. williams or honda you know Williams or yeah, so Renault. They were also Honda before that, Renault. That was, that was before Renault, man. So we're talking about like when they were last successful. Yeah, for, maybe it was, probably was uh, Honda, um, McLaren. 
Yeah, fair enough. All right. I'll give you that. You don't have to um, give it to me. I, it's, it's fact, mate. It's um, um, fact. It, it is big news, though. Like Massive news. But it, and and I, think, I think it's good, too, because, you know, who knows how reliable that power unit would be with Red Bull in charge. Mm. So we, we know it's, it's a pretty reliable unit at the moment. So you know you're going to have your Ferrari, your Red Bull, or your Honda, your Renault, and your, and your Mercedes. And all four are quite strong at this point. I think the good thing for Red Bull is also the fact that even though I don't doubt their expertise, they didn't really need to, like, they were going to do it to stay in the sport and to have their own kind of say in their power manufacturer. But I think for them, if they're able to save money and not have to build their own engine, they haven't done it, you know, for the last 15 years when they've been in the sport. If they're able to do that and kind of still be competitive, it's, it's a win for them and they can invest more time into the development of the car, etc. So I think it's a win-win for everyone. The interesting thing will be if Red Bull and Honda continue to have success and Honda wants to become a works team again, um, maybe, I don't know, that's the only interesting thing, whether where Red Bull would sit in that particular relationship once that was to occur. So again, thinking super far ahead, but... Um, Honda, you know, I've never had it. I've never had success as a works team. No, they haven't. But let's like with think about it. If if they're coming into the sport potentially in 2025 and they've got a validated and competitive engine, um, as opposed to other years when they're definitely starting from behind the eight ball, they've kind of, you know, the new thing about Formula One is now that any team joining only has to reach a ceiling. It's not like an unattainable goal to that you're always climbing. Like there's a there's a ceiling that everybody's going to be capped at, and then that, that once they're able to get to that ceiling, hopefully they're competitive. So that's a, it's a yeah, different but, dynamic to, yeah, to Formula One now. It's not because if you think about it, if you've got a cost cap, if if you're the best team in one year, you can use your next year's cap to get further ahead than teams who aren't at your level. So it's not as easy as you as you might say it is. Like in terms of that, you know what I mean? I just don't it's think like the it, the disparity would be. Mercedes 10 seconds up the road and everyone I else. Hope, I hope not. I don't think it will be, but mm. um, I think what I think like it's probably a discussion for another night, but I think the thing about Formula One is there's obviously going to be teams that are pushing for the championships. But if you've got a manufacturer that wants to come in and let's say they weren't winning championships, but they were at least getting on podiums and potentially challenging for race wins, even that level of a success keeps them chomping at the bit to want to stay mm. in. Whereas what we've seen in recent years is that they've been so far away from even the podium. It's that, you know, it, the genu- it's a genuine question for them to ask, you know, what are we actually doing here? So mm. I think the, the cost cap, maybe it doesn't give them the chance to go from coming into the sport to winning races, but hopefully it does give them the chance relatively quickly to be competitive enough to, to just kind of, to be amongst it. And I think that's where, hopefully for the, the new formula and the new regulations and things like that allow new teams to to kind of situate thrive. themselves not even thrive but just get among you know i mean get amongst it feel competitive feel like you know if everything goes your way you might have a chance for some decent points or potentially a podium and if that's there and there's that level of motivation to 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 kind of motivate you for you know sorry to use the word twice and I think that keeps people engaged as opposed to coming and just racing for, you know, a top thing of, you know, seventh if 
everything goes well and no no one else has a DNF in front of where you're supposed to sit. So I don't know. I think it's good. It's really good for Honda. It's really good for Formula One. Did you hear about, did you hear, I can't remember who it was, someone in the news was saying that they expect three, at least three teams to interpret the new sort of, um, what is it? The new, yeah, James Allison was saying that. Was it James Allison? Like disastrously bad? Yeah. What do you think of that when you read it? I don't, is he saying it because it's it me. historically <laughs> speaking or because maybe they were even, I would uh, say, felt like I'd it was ambiguous he, what they were reading? I would say because I think realize how much of a, like, even though it sounds simple, it's actually going to be a, a big job to be competitive, like adapting something that they haven't ever, like this is, this is a way of designing a car that has, like the whole philosophy has never been sort of attempted before by Formula 1 teams. It's sort of a total flip of, of how they would, what's the word? Have how they've done it recently. But you know, you know even recently, forever. Do you know what encourages me? The fact that they've had an extra year to get on top of this, to sim it, to kind of develop it, etc. Like, I don't know, the time that they've had to work on this, I'm sure that all the teams are coming up with their best possible interpretation of the formula. And I think that they've had more than enough time to kind of model and digitally verify the cars that they're producing now i guess it's impossible to do the most accurate verifications without being able to test it physically as well but with where technology is getting to now and the amount of time that they've had to work on the cars and the amount of you know the fact that we've seen this year a number of teams that have really given no resourcing to the current car i don't know i'm optimistic that more teams get it right than others and even teams that don't get it 100 percent right aren't you know left by the wayside yeah and, and i'm hoping the fact that their engine regs have barely changed that they're similar to what they've been running that you're not going to have cars that are quick but keep breaking down and that, that's mm. that's that's what i'm excited about like we'll get if if the car's good they'll be at the you know at the front end the the pointy end of the grid so at least be competitive right yeah. Do you remember the first race of the turbo hybrid turbo hybrid era melbourne oh, park yeah. Melbourne, when actually McLarens broke down within a lap, one of the McLarens broke yeah. down on the warm up yeah. lap. Sauber was coming third, like it was. Is that the is know, that the one where Sauber was were, on the podium? Then they took it away from him. Yeah, but even still, he was on the podium and he was like forever behind. Like it was just mm. one of the most crappy races you, you could watch. <laughs> um, let's just hope that that doesn't. And I don't think it will happen. I think no. that there's been enough time for these super smart people to come up with a solution that even if it's not going to work 100%, should at least get them, you know, within the ballpark. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah, yeah, exciting. All right, boys, I think we'll leave it there tonight. Thanks for jumping Lovely. on. That's what, another 45 minutes. That's not too bad. Um, all right, so thanks, everyone, for listening again. Um, hopefully, well, not ne- we'll see what, if we've got something next week for you, but within the next fortnight now, we've obviously got... Um, liveries coming out so maybe we might do a bit of a um, discussion about those liveries and let's try to make the video a bit more dynamic as well maybe some of the photos as well so we can release some of that information and then obviously testing's coming up soon too so um, stay on board for that and please keep sharing yeah we won't even be able to discuss the first test 
Oh, it's you all still behind look closed at, doors. Not the timesheets. They're only going to release the best time of each team. Are they? Mm, that's it. Is that so? Is that because they're worried that there might be? No, I, I don't think it's worried. I think I think it's it's probably just to give teams one test day when they're not under any scrutiny, just to do their thing, and then when they come back, we'll have another two more. Then they'll be like, all right, now open to the public. You know, you've had your your shakedowns because it's probably going to be the first car shakedowns as well. That's the other thing. Mm. Um, so I, th- I thought it was interesting, but somewhat understandable. But there won't be much to discuss, that's for sure. I didn't know about that. That's a problem. But anyway, for, for everyone, please stay on board. Please keep sharing the word um, about the podcast. Keep liking and, and um, sharing on the socials as well. And hopefully we'll be bringing a not, another podcast to you in the not-so-distant future. So thanks so much, guys, for jumping on. And I think we'll leave it there. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Guys.